We are going to review 1 Corinthians for a little bit, and then we will get to our passage for today. Uh, the church at Corinth was established by Paul. Remember, he traveled there. He preached the gospel. Many became Christians. They started a church. He taught them. He trained them. He discipled them, and then he left. And while he was away, someone is uh, contacting Paul, whether they travel or they wrote to him, and let him know that there are some problems in this church. And that's what a church is. There's no perfect church, right? But there are some significant things that they are dealing with. And so he deals with divisiveness, and he deals with tolerance, and he deals with lawsuits, and he deals with uh, false thoughts about marriage and what it should be. Well, this section, Paul is dealing with idolatry. He's dealing with idolatry. And while we may not make a little stone statue and, and bow down to it, we have idols of the heart. Um, whether it's sports or whether it's popularity or whether it's pleasure or whether it's earthly possessions or whether it's, it's beauty, there are things that we can elevate more than Christ. Christ should sit on the throne of our heart. If you're an unbeliever, you have rushed headlong into idolatry. You have rejected the one true God and you must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Christian, we have repented and believed, but we still battle. We still struggle. And so when we get to chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, he begins to command them to fight idolatry with love. And we won't go through all of it for the sake of time, but they were dealing with the idea of Christian liberty. And, and Chad Miller came and he taught about that. And what was happening was um, there was food that was being sacrificed to idols and then it was being served at the meals. And for the mature Christian, they know an idol is nothing and it doesn't really mean anything and that the food is delicious and so they eat it. But for those that had recently come out of that idol worship, they were going, <gasps> what? Don't eat that. And so what do you do? And Paul says, look, because I love God, I love my brother or sister in Christ. So if that means, verse eight, uh, 13, if that means that I don't eat meat because it's going to make them stumble, then I'm just not going to do it because I love them more than I love food. And, and that means a lot because back then their food wasn't that good, right? There was no Captain Crunch or Cocoa Pebbles and delicious things like pizza. So meat was kind of it. But he said, look, I will give up meat if that means that my brothers and my sisters in Christ will not stumble. But then he began to talk about attacking idolatry with dedication. Attacking idolatry with dedication. Be so dedicated to the Lord and his work and what he's doing that there is no room in your heart for idols but when you see others stumble with those, you love them and you show them your dedication and you're prepared so that you can help them. You can help them. And that's when he begins to talk about how he had every right to be paid, but did he take the compensation? No, because he didn't want anyone to say, well, you only preach the gospel for money. 
And at the end of chapter 9 is when he starts talking about running in such a way so that you will win. Control your body, dedicate your mind, dedicate your life to doing what you need to do to further the gospel, to further the kingdom. And then he begins to talk about how you battle idolatry with recollection. You see chapter 10, verse 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. So we, as Christians, read the Bible. And when we read the Bible, we read what happened to Israel. And we see positive things and we see negative things. And we learn from those things and we grow from those things. We need to remember Israel's mistakes. Uh, we saw this and Craig taught the lesson and talked about all of the positive, wonderful things that they got to experience. They even had Christ himself leading them and, and they said, no, thanks. God rescued them from Egypt miraculously, brought them on the cusp of the promised land, and they said, nope, I'm scared. I'm not going in. And so that generation was laid low and was destroyed. If you're current with the reading plan, you're reading Hosea or Hosea. I cannot remember how to say it. Potato, potato, okay? It's the same book. You know what I'm talking about. Here is a man that has been commanded to take a wife and that wife is going to become a harlot. Why? To show that God views Israel's idolatry like a husband would view his wife's adultery. And the whole time, I'm gonna ruin the story for you, the whole time he's floating her as she's running off and thinking she's making all this money with her harlotry. And he's the one secretly supporting her. And he takes her back. What? Well, God says, Israel, you have played the harlot with the idols. But I'll take you back. I'll take you back with love and graciousness. And when you read that book, it makes you say, wow, my life's not so hard after all. And wow, what a great and merciful and wonderful God. And, and I hope that you read that last chapter of Micah when it had those beautiful pictures of forgiveness. Oh, but we dedicate our life, we read, we remember what happened to Israel and we learn from Israel's mistakes because you see these things happened in verse six as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And I probably shared this before, but I am, the, I am the youngest of four children. And growing up in a house with three older siblings gave me lots of examples of things not to do. And I took notes and I said, I won't do that and I won't do that. And ooh, that hurt, I'm not doing that. But we read the Bible or we ignore the Bible and there's all these examples from Israel and we do the same dumb thing. We need to remember, but then we need to learn. We need to learn. And it says in verse 7, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Their, um, God was their pleasure and their leisure. 
Nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Don't do those sinful deeds and actions. Now these things happened as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so that's the timeless truth that we're working with now. This was written, it happened, it was recorded so that I would put it into practice in my own life. And then there's this well-timed warning. Therefore, let him think, uh, him who thinks he stands, take heed that he does not fall. Oh, that would never happen to me. Oh, I would never do that. And oh, I can do this. And I can put myself in this compromising situation because I'm stronger than that. Well, ask David how that worked out for him on the rooftop. Christians can still do terrible things that they regret for their, their whole life. And a lot of it is that pride of I can power through and I can overcome and it doesn't matter. I can put myself in that situation. This is a well-timed warning. And then we saw lastly, the effective encouragement. The effective encouragement. And just walking through that, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you. Except that is common to man. MacArthur says the basic meaning of temptation is simply to put to test or to prove. It has no negative connotation. Whether it becomes a proof of righteousness or an inducement to evil depends on our response. If we resist it in God's power, it is a test that proves our faithfulness. If we do not resist, it becomes a solicitation to sin. So whatever it is, whether you're, you're tempted to cheat to get that grade, or you're tempted to, to watch and to lust after something because it gratifies you. Or you are wanting to tear someone down to build yourself up. Whatever the temptation is there to disobey mom or dad because you want to do it your way. You don't, Christian, have to give in. It's not too powerful. It's not too much. When you were an unbeliever, you were a slave of your sin. Now you are alive and free in Christ. And it is common to man. The implication is, this is the same thing that keeps happening. There's nothing new under the sun. And with that, God is faithful. Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God has your back? Do you believe that God will give you what you need to live in Christ's likeness and to have victory over sin. Paul says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is so faithful that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Oh, you don't understand. I had to. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. Because God is a holy God and we are to imitate him. He is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. And we, and we think the way of escape is like some magical door appears that says escape at the top and we walk through it and we get out of there. No, it, it, it's more than that. The, the way of escape, the way of escape, I listed this, is, is trusting God. That resolve to trust Him. God is faithful. Do you believe that? Do you trust Him? It's preparation. Remember Jesus in the wilderness? He fasted before the temptations. 
For us, the essentials, we study our Bible to remember what is right and what is wrong. And we, we gather together in fellowship with believers because do we want to fight this battle on our own or with others? And we worship and we serve. And this prepares us for the temptation that comes and it grows us in Christ's likeness. We pray, showing our dependency and asking for his power to work in us and through us. And we focus on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith who already ran before us the race that we are now running. And as we set our mind on things above, we put off the sin and we put on the righteousness and that is the way of escape. It's not a magic elixir. It's not a pill that you take. It's a lifestyle because you love God and because you're dedicated to God, you battle idolatry with this way. With our passage today, we are now going to flee idolatry because of fellowship. And it sounds kind of strange, but we flee idolatry because of fellowship. In Luke 14, we don't have time to go there. But Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship. And it's as if you hate others, you love him so much. And you're willing to give up all for him. You're a part of his kingdom. You're on his team. You are in his family. And we are all connected with one another, Christians. And so I run from idolatry. Because it's the best thing for my brothers and sisters in Christ and it's the best thing for me. David Garland writes that Paul's insistence on exclusive loyalty to a religion was something uncommon in paganism. Think of the, the Hindu religion, right? If you know anybody that, that's Hindu, man, throw a God up there and they tack them on the fireplace. They don't care. They'll, they'll take as many gods as you got. That's mostly what paganism is. But Christianity was exclusive, the one true God. People were accustomed to joining in sacrificial meals of various deities, none of which required an exclusive relationship. The Hellenistic world was a great religious melting pot. And tolerance and syncretism reflected the spirit of the times. That sound like any place you know? The Greeks and later the Romans were very tolerant in their attitude toward the kaleidoscope of other religions and cultures. They understood that every nation had its own ancestral traditions, its own temples, its own gods, and that worship in these gods was a part of everyday life. Look, you worship you and you worship it, and then we'll all come together and we'll just put it aside and we'll all coexist. The Christian is a bond with a God and with a people that cannot be broken. And we do not set up idols in our heart and we do not allow our friends to set up idols in our heart, their heart because we have a common bond which is in Jesus Christ. Common bond which is in Jesus Christ. We first of all have the command. And the command is very simple. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Which... Don't let it be lost on you. What did he say in, chapter, in verse 13? There's a way of escape. And what does verse 14 say? Hey, um, run. Oh, there's a bad guy. What do I do? Well, you should probably run. 
There's a temptation. Run. Flee. That's the command. The command is to flee from idolatry. And as I mentioned, any idol in your heart, run from it. Don't cozy up to it. Don't excuse it. Don't massage it away. Simply run from it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He loves these people. He loves this church. He wants to see them grow in Christ's likeness. To flee from means to, to seek safety by flight. To shun. To avoid. This idolatry is something that we, we've talked about already. Anything that's there, run from it. Flee. That's the command. The rest of our passage in verse 15 through 22 is going to be the convincing. Why should I do this or how should I do this? The convincing. He says this, I speak to wise men, you judge what I say. I love that. He says, look, you need to flee idolatry. All right, but why? Well, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna speak, you guys are smart. You analyze what I'm saying and then I want you to judge which means to pronounce an opinion concerning right or wrong. And the convincing he's going to use here is first of all, fellowship. First of all, fellowship. And you're like, what, what does that have to do with anything? All right. I often, growing up, would, would make delicious bagel bites. And they were for me. It's like they're made that way, right? You have the little trays of 20, and boom. You pull out one of those trays 20 bagel bites, one person. That is the, the proper ratio, okay? But often when I was done making the bagel bites, my brother walked in. He never walked in except when I was done making the bagel bites. And he, he tried to convince me that we're a bagel bite team. That we're together, we're brothers. And I'm like, well, we're not brothers when I'm mowing the yard. We're brothers now that I have bagel bites? And he's like, yes, that's how it works. And so every once in a while, I would throw him a crumb and whatever it might be. He was perfectly capable of making his own bagel bites. But now we're a team. And what Paul is saying, you're a team. You're a family. You are a community. And that's why you flee idolatry. If one of us falls, we all suffer from it. If one of us is not pulling the rope, then the kingdom suffers for it. And he gives two satisfying examples. Exhibit A would be the Lord's table. And we see that in verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing, which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And then he talks about the Lord's altar. Look at the nation Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or is an idol is anything? So to convince them about this fellowship, he's going to talk to them about how we gather to partake of the Lord's table. And Israel used to gather for the sacrificial system and it bonded them together. And it makes us different than the pagan religions that are out there. What was happening is this, and John MacArthur explains this. Some of the Corinthians were taking their liberty in questionable things too far. Remember, we talked about Christian liberty. And we're becoming involved in the evil of idolatry. This is what they were doing. They were free to attend pagan functions, 
but we're not free to participate in false worship. And the modern day equivalent I can think of is, let's say that there's a, there's a party out there and people are drinking alcohol and getting drunk. And you're saying, look, I'm just going to come to the party. Just showing up to the party, unless your parents have forbidden you, you know, is it sin? Is it not sin? Obviously, if the cops come, there's some, you know, all of that, right? They were going to the party and they were participating in the pagan worship. There's no gray area here. They were going to the party and it wasn't just, hey, that food's been sacrificed to idols. It was they were actually worshiping the idol. Okay, that's not good. That's not what we do. No, 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 Christian, you got, there's one God, one true God. But this is a young church. There are false converts within the church. There's also people that are learning and, hey, why don't you come with me? And it's not that big of a deal. And I don't know, is it that big of a deal? I mean, Paul's saying, yes, it's that big of a deal. And I'll tell you why. Think of the Lord's table. When we have communion, when we have communion, you are sharing in the blood of Christ. Now, it's not a Catholic thing. The Catholics really think that you're eating the body of Jesus. The Catholics really believe that you're drinking the blood of Jesus. It's, it's not it. But when we remember Christ in that way, we're doing it together. We're doing it together. The cup of blessing which we bless is sharing in the blood of Christ. And I know it's a little different for us. Some, some people pass the community cup. Gross. Imagine it went through 1,000 people before it got to you. Uh, yeah. yeah, we got the little, you know, we, just, we got our own little juice that Dale provides for us, okay? That's, that's nicer, it's neater and stuff like that. But, but, but it's, we're doing it together. It's not the bread which we break as sharing in the body of Christ. And you're like, I got a little cracker. There ain't no breaking. It used to be bread that all their grubby hands would actually, you know what I mean? Ugh. But the idea is we're doing this together. But what is this? This is an ordinance that Jesus gave us so that we remember him together. We wouldn't allow an unbeliever to do that. We warn unbelievers not to do that. The Lord's table is something that we do together with one another. And they're going to be abusing the Lord's table and we'll come to that later on. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And it's not talking about the literal bread. We're talking about remembering the body of Christ broken for us. And when we're all thinking at that moment and we're all doing and we're all praying, we are connected with one another in worship of the Father. That specialness doesn't travel. You know what I mean? You have cornerbacks that stay on one side of the field. You have cornerbacks that travel all over the field to guard the best receiver. Our worship don't travel to the pagan festival. This is our God. This is our way of worshiping him. And when you think of the altar, look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? They're one together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and they are there to worship him in one. 
if you roll into the pagan festival and you do the pagan thing, you're one with the pagans. And it can't be that way. It can't be that way. And there's one startling connection. Look at verse 19. What do I mean then that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. What? They sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Well, how is this different than the Christian liberty thing? And I already explained that, right? The Christian liberty thing is you're at someone's house and someone says, hey, that food that we bought from the marketplace, it was sacrificed and now it's here. And you're like, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's here and it looks good. So thank you. It's different if you went to the actual place and are participating in the sacrifice and the worship. That's why it's different. But it, look, there's no true false God. They're actually demons. They're demons here. He says, I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. It is no. You're either in or you're out. You can't do this. You can't do this. A funny illustration of this is, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I speak of the Spanish just a little bit. And we used to go down deep. We used to go down deep. And there was one time that I was outside. I think I was preparing to share my testimony or something like that. And I'm getting something ready. And I look through the window of the church. And my friends that were with me that don't speak of the Spanish were all doing this. They were not hailing Hitler. They were all pledging allegiance to Mexico. <laughs> they had no idea what they were doing. It, it was hysterical. And so I'm like, hey, look, uh, you know that whole pledge of allegiance we had, we have? And they're like, oh, yeah. You just did that to Mexico. Oh, it, it was great. You can't pledge allegiance to Christ and pledge allegiance to demons. Mm-mm, no way, nuh-uh. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. But what's this one stern caution? And here we see that he's also using fear to help guide them. The other convincing, you have the convincing of fellowship, but you also have the convincing of fear. And what's our one stern caution? Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? You really want to mess with God? You know he's a God of vengeance. You know he's a jealous God that demands you worship him. So you should do this and you should live and you should avoid, you know, fleeing from idolatry, not rolling into the party and participating. We're talking about running like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife came after him. Fleeing because you're together. Imagine the confusion it would be when you see a Christian participating in a sinful deed. And then you're like, well, is that okay for me to do that? Imagine if you showed up and some, a Christian was participating in false worship. No, you run from it because of fellowship, but you also run from it because of fear. 
You don't want to be anywhere near this. You don't want to be a part of any of this, knowing that God is a jealous God. Well, what are our implications? First of all, I want you to think of the significance of the Lord's table. It is not just something that we tack on at the end of the service. Pastor Tom always encourages us to confess our sin, to search our heart, to really think about and meditate on the, the life that Jesus gave and the blood that he shed. And here we have another huge significance to it is that connectivity that we have with one another. I'm connected to you and you're connected to me and we're all participating in this act of worship together. But then we also need to realize the seriousness of idolatry. The seriousness of idolatry. And idolatry is valuing something more than God. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. The earthly things, the God of their appetite is the idol. Colossians 3, 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to what? All that's idolatry. You're worshiping something other than God. Job 31, If I have put my confidence in gold, and if I have called fine gold my trust, if I have gloated because my wealth was great and because my hand had secured so much, if I had looked at the sun which I shone or the moon going in splendor and my heart became secretly enticed and my hand threw a kiss from my mouth, that too would have been an iniquity calling for judgment for I would have denied God above. Any of these things, elevating something more than God is not okay. Idolatry is also trying to worship God in an incorrect way. The Bible is very clear how we are to worship him. And here we have Corinthians worshiping a God in an incorrect way. Exodus 32, 4, he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And we all know this is talking about Aaron and talking about that dumb golden calf. It's not worth it. It's not real. When you go home tonight and you search the quietness of your heart and when you pray, I want you to think through, are there any things that you're elevating in your life more than God? It could be good things. Like a friend is a good thing. But if you're going to follow and obey that friend more than you are God, that's not good. It, it could be immorality. Okay? It, it could be academics. It could be uh, you know, sports pursuits, on and on and on. There's lots of different things that it could be. And what I want you to consider is every action that you take, it not only impacts you, it also impacts your brothers and sisters in Christ. Eyes are watching you and people need you. So I want to let my light shine before men so they see my good deeds and glorify my fathers in heaven. 
And so a part of that is as I flee from idolatry and as you flee from idolatry and you flee and you flee, we're all running the same way together. And doesn't that make life easier? Doesn't that make Christ's likeness easier when we're doing it together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful passage. Thank you so much for the truth that it contains and I pray that we would apply it to our heart. I do pray, Father, that if there's anyone here tonight that's still a slave to their sin, that you would break them and give them the repentance and faith they need to be right with you. But for those of us that are Christians, may we flee from idolatry knowing the seriousness of that sin and the impact that we can make for your kingdom when we do the right thing. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.